lots of things in life come down to training. And one of the things we say is you never rise to the occasion. You always fall to the lowest level of your training. So like, think of our kids, right? If we don't prepare them by teaching them how to use a drill, or we don't prepare them by teaching how to uh, avoid getting hit or fished on a website, or we don't teach them, you know, general boundaries and skill sets, they enter into a world that's moving really fast. Welcome to the Skilled Dad Podcast. This is the podcast for dads of all seasons to learn the things that they can do and engage so that they can go and equip the next generation for success. Here we sit down with everyday dads just like you to learn from their story, get inspired, and then start getting after it. So we invite you to join in, see what you can take away from this story, and apply to your life on your journey to becoming a skilled dad. Hey guys, and welcome to the Skilled Dad Podcast. My name is Zach Reeser. I'm your host. Uh, and if this is your first time joining us, welcome. If this is your 28th or 29th time joining us, welcome back. Uh, really excited about today with this gentleman that you see here or will hear here shortly, uh, Mr. Chuck Ferry. And Chuck, I'm going to tell a little bit of a backstory as to how we got connected. And, um, and, and really, we've had a lot of conversations before hitting the record button today. But he was on a show called Whiskey Wednesday. And you should look it up on YouTube under the Gear and Beer Show, Whiskey Wednesday. And uh, if you had heard an episode way back, Mr. Brian Graff was on there. And Chuck could join him. And Chuck was telling some of his story. And my ears perked up. And I, and I reached out to Brian. I said, I've got to talk to this guy. I've got to talk to him. And we'll get into that here shortly. But Chuck. Uh, is a retired firefighter, and we'll hear some of that story. And he's also the founder and CEO of Forcible Entry, which focuses on both training and equipping our first responders with the right equipment so that they can step in the line of duty, get things done safely, uh, as well as more effectively. So hopefully I said that right, Chuck, but thanks so much for uh, for joining here and uh, being on the Skilled Dad podcast. I'm super excited and thanks so much for the invitation, Zach. It's uh, it's exciting to be able to talk with you. Like you said, we've been chatting offline a bunch. Uh, it's just good to align with other people who uh, love a tool culture, right? And a, and a, and a desire to like build stuff, uh, yeah. even if we screw it up the first time. If we don't screw it up the first time, we're either a savant or got really lucky. I'll go with number two, lucky. <laughs> Guessed well. We guess well. For sure. Well, the 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 thing that uh, for those that don't know, which is uh, everyone, uh, the thing that perched my ears up when I was watching you on Whiskey Wednesday with uh, with Brian there is a story about your grandfather and how he had started an upholstery business. And for probably most everybody that don't know, uh, I actually stepped in to take over an upholstery business that my grandfather started like 30 years ago. And, um, and in that mix, you also started talking about your kids and your family and some of the things that drove you to make some changes with kind of your path. And that's what really perked my ear up. But we have that 
uh, upholstery in common, which is some people might not even know what that is. They're Googling it right now. Um, and if you are and you're driving, pull over and wait for it. But um, but speaking of first, like today, I was telling Chuck earlier, I, I, I started my first actual chair to upholster. So, you know, front office is different than doing it. And, uh, and, it, and half was really good and half, the other half is garbage. So, you know, we'll send pictures to you later, Chuck, but, um, well, that's exactly the way we did with the first door. The first door was made because I knew what I was doing. The first door was made because we had identified, uh, I had identified myself personally that I had not, um, practiced enough and nor did I have enough, uh, operational experience forcing doors in the fire service to be consistently good at something, right? Like, so uh, in the fire service, I really desired to be excellent in my job. I think most fire to the fire service with that in mind. Uh, I had spent 20 years as a paramedic, um, 10 years in private ambulance service, and then 10 years with Palo Alto before I got on the truck. And when I got on the truck, one of the things you do in truck on truck work is you work uh, what's called forcible entry, which is to enter a building forcibly, i.e. the doors are locked, the windows are locked, everything's locked, the doors are down and locked, everything's locked, right? So we have to be able to get into that building because if we don't know how to get into the building, I, the fire grows, right? Fire doubles mm -hmm. every minute, right? So our fire growth is continuing to grow. So every minute that we're not able to get through a door is increasing the fire growth and it's increasing uh, victim uh, survival rates. Mm -hmm. And so wanting to be good at that, I built my first door and I swear if I had a picture to pull up and, and your audience could see it, they'd laugh. I mean, I, I have a, an old picture. It's, it's, it's hysterical what I came up with first, but it worked, right? And the funny thing was that it worked, um, it worked well enough that everybody in my department was like, hey, how do I force that? Like, we really realized that we weren't that great at forcing doors. And so it created over the next, uh, so this is back in 2009. So in 2010, we incorporated, but I really started training around 2012 uh, after realizing I, I didn't really know a really good system to force a door, right? Mm -hmm. And so as I did the training piece, that made me continue to work on the door. And so like you're saying, like the first time you do something, it is it is your best attempt. I If anybody's out there want, wondering, should I try it? You should try something. Because if you never try it, you yes. never know where it's going to go. And had I not picked up a welder for my, so my grandfather, the upholsterer, mm -hmm. uh, Fred Egelhoff was my, one of my dearest memories in my mind. Uh, when this gentleman passed away, he, he left me 10 grand and I bought a welder and a tube bender, right? So he, he's wondering, <laughs> did that, not, it was that investment well spent on that grandkid. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I got, I think I got that in a 72 Bronco, which I really wish I still had because that'd be worth a fortune. But, um, yes, it would. Yeah. But I built that 72 Bronco into a rock crawler and I went out and drove it all over the Rubicon and stuff. Had a great time. Right. But if I hadn't bought that welder and tried to weld something, then 10 years later, when I got on the truck and saw a door, I wouldn't have been able to weld a door together. And then I wouldn't have been able to eventually build a company. See, we have to start somewhere. And even if we suck at it, we got to give it a shot because we don't know what opportunity that's going to open up for us years down the road. And that to me has been one of the things I've really realized is, is how, if we don't take the opportunity when we get it, if we don't make the opportunity at times, we might lose out on something in 10 years we don't even see right now. Mm -hmm. That's, 
that's so huge and prominent and things that happen down the road, both between stories, personal experiences, like you might not know why something shakes down the way it does or happens the way it does. Um, but if we don't put ourselves out there to, to kind of be open to messing something up, um, we're not going to learn anything and not be prepared for the future. No, I love that. Um, it's a little tricky when like the first thing that the first round that you have is being a dad. When we step into it, you know, my kids, my first kid, he did okay. He's still doing okay. So we haven't messed anything totally up, but stepping in, I love the, I actually love the, the, and I want to hear more about, um, just your story as you and you as a dad. And, and I've got a few questions as we just go, we'll kind of take this thing where it goes. Uh, but I really like what you said about, you know, what happens if you don't, if you don't enter and this might be a stretch here, but if, if things are locked and you don't find a way to get through the fire grows, right. Um, not good things happen. And, uh, and you know, part of this podcast, part of the show, whatever you want to call it, um, conversations is about, Hey, we've got to step in there and we've got to, we've got to get in front of whatever danger um is there or the things that we can do to equip our kids so that the fire doesn't grow and we don't let it kind of take off in a direction that we otherwise may have been able to go and make better my words are escaping me today but i, I like no no i think you're on the right track so if lots of things in life come down to training and one of the things we say is you never rise to the occasion. You always fall to the lowest level of your training. So like, think of our kids, right? If we don't prepare them by teaching them how to use a drill, or we don't prepare them by teaching how to uh, avoid getting hit or fished on a website, or we don't teach them, you know, general boundaries and skill sets, they enter into a world that's moving really fast and it can be really overwhelming. The social media part really deeply concerns me. Um, I think... Kids are overwhelmed by it. It, it. it, it's an unrealistic thing to look at. And like, we have a social media page for our company, mm -hmm. but like numbers and likes and stuff cannot be the priority. We're sharing information. That's all we're doing. We're not out here to make, you know, uh, we're, we're out here to expose ourselves. But the problem for a kid is like, they look at how many likes they've gotten in the first 30 seconds, mm. the first 30 minutes. And they start judging themselves by that. And you really have to take the time to train your kids and not think that is where my value is at, yeah. right? Yeah. My value is in who I am, who God created me to be and what I get to do with this life that I've been given. And if we don't teach our kids that we're, we're really setting them up um, for a difficult time because I think there's a lot of challenges out there. And I think training, uh, regardless, whether it's kids or firefighters, um, the firefighter space for us is like, okay, let's say the firefighter didn't know how to go through the door. Let's say there's a kid, mm. there's somebody behind that door. Let's say somebody else comes in there and they open that door and that patient or that victim is now unrevivable. They have died, right? How lousy does that firefighter feel knowing that another firefighter was able to get through that door, but he or she was not able to? That's not acceptable. Mm. That's the training problem inside. Um, I won't say that's inside the fire service. The fire service does a wonderful job of making sure everybody's qualified. But what they don't always do is make sure they have something for them to train on. They do mm -hmm. initial training. They don't always do long-term training. 
They don't always add the training so that it becomes more difficult. Um, and so we, we're trying to address these issues uh, inside this piece. But again, we have to practice. We have to practice often, right? This is why they argue that like meditation and prayer matter, but they don't mm -hmm. matter if you do it at Easter and Christmas. They just don't <laughs> right. matter right. because you, you built a habit and that habit has made you a more peaceful person. And that habit has made you more able to understand other people's perspectives. And I think that if we don't train ourselves well, uh, it doesn't affect us the first 10 years, but that next 10 years, we're all over the map and we don't mm -hmm. know why. And because we didn't invest in ourselves in the first 10 years, I don't know if we're as prepared to invest in ourselves in the next. And everybody's different. So I won't say that, you know, that's a blanket, but I feel like if you're not pushing yourself um, to grow into some area that you may, you know, you need, for me, it's prayer and meditation. Those are two of the things I really need to work on. And so I'm trying, right? So, uh, but if I don't put the time in, I can guarantee you it's going to be, it's going to be lost. And then I lose my mind as a, as a peaceful person. And I don't want to do that. Right. Time and reps, time and reps. Reps, baby. That is the, that is the game right there. Do reps. Like you with your building Everywhere. the chair, right? Everywhere. Right. Here, build a hundred. I guarantee you the hundred looks a lot different than the first. Cause I'll tell you right now, our doors, we were laughed at because we used wood doors, literally laughed at fold. That will never work. <laughs> now we have the best door on the planet and it's still a wood door, but we have reinforced that thing with AR 450 plates so much. Uh, it's, it's a beast. And so, but, but you have to learn that, right? Yeah. You have to have people yeah. that come against you and say you're wrong. And then you have to prove them wrong or you at least have to show that what you're doing has value. Right. And yeah. so hopefully you can, well, that's something you said right there. And as for those that do listen to this podcast, they know that this thing kind of takes a life of its own. I personally like that. People keep listening. So, you know, we haven't lost too many yet. But um, the other thing, too, about, and I, I'd love to get your perspective on this, with, with your service as a firefighter um, and something you just said, like you've got to get people as well to kind of, either point in the right direction or kick you in the rear to keep you going or, you know, someone that that's not necessarily your spouse or significant other that is there, you know, both encouraging and kind of kicking you in the pants for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of those things that it seems to me, uh, would, cause I'm not a firefighter have not been, but there's kind of this internal, I mean, the trust is going to be superior and what, and how you're going to operate as a team, I would imagine. You've got this kind of brotherhood that you've got going on. Uh, and then outside of that, you know, you've got to have people in, in that circle that you trust, trust you, and that you can have that accountability buzzword. Um, but it, it is there. Like one, um, two is one and one is none, as a couple of my buddies say. And uh, that is, you know, that's one of those things. You can go get reps all day long, but what happens if maybe we're thinking we're doing the right reps? but maybe our form is wrong and someone else can, can kind of give us, you know, um, insight on that. But, um, is that fair? Is that fair kind of say like kind of the accountability, the brotherhood side that you have in the community of first responders? Yeah, I would say that we, um, we very much are, I like to say open-minded in the sense that like, we don't believe that, especially in the forceful delivery space, that there's only one way but we do believe that there's better ways. And mm -hmm. so we, 
the beautiful thing about our community, especially the piece that we do, it's what we call breaching and barbecue, is we get to learn from them and they learn from us and we all get something new out of it. And that's been really uh, neat with our law enforcement because we work with a lot of SWAT, narcotics, different teams. And these guys come in there and they've got kind of their way of doing things in which we respect and we love. And we ask them to share that stuff with us that they do. And then we share with them some of the techniques we have. And then we try to see how we can um, cross-train those two things together so we become even better, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that kind of better together because we're both sharing our experiences and our and what's happened. I think that's a really important piece in this because I don't believe I can walk into a room and go, hey, listen, I know more than all of you. I think that's a, I think beyond being obviously just uh, prideful and arrogant, I don't think it's possible. I know my operational area pretty well, and I've been around it enough to go, hey, I'm pretty good at this space. But for me to make the assumption, I know your operational area, that's, that's not even fair. And when I go out to do when we do training, even in the fire service, like one, you're talking a little bit, you went on there, you said something about accountability and the brotherhood, the brotherhood and the accountability in that, in that piece, that's, that's real glue. When you go out to events and you're, you know, that one of you could get seriously injured or killed and you're relying on each other. I'm telling you that is when you get done with that event, everybody comes out and everybody's in one piece. Um, that's glue, right? That's the glue that holds us together and makes us take care of one another. Um, and when things go bad, it's glue too. Like even in your personal lives, uh, we've had some really uh, significant events that happened in Palo Alto where, uh, one of our, our really good friends, one of my friends who's still there, uh, lost his son. Mm. And I saw an entire fire department come together in a way that like, I still, it still awe inspires me. Mm. I saw them, I saw them fix it fix his house. I saw them support him. I saw them bring food. Like I saw things happen that, uh, just awe-inspiring and, and it just becomes this really interesting community amongst first responders. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they do, they truly care about each other. And that's the best thing. Uh, and that's the thing I think that is really unique about the first responder community is that we, we eat dinner together, right? We solve all the world's right. problems so. at the round table. Well, we, we know that like that is our thing. <laughs> And right, it just happens every time, but, uh, it is a place where we really do get to commune together and, and that living together is just a, an amazing space. Um, yeah. and it's sad because like what we're doing is we're not seeing as many people applying for the fire service anymore, which blows my mind because it's been such a great career. Um, but if you have a desire to like work with your hands, get out there and serve people, man, that is a great career. I just, I can't speak enough to it. How how about if someone's not necessarily, and then we're kind of on the on the firefighter path here, but if someone's not necessarily looking for the career side of it, but from a volunteer perspective, how is how is kind of the volunteer experience versus kind of the career experience? What does that look like for somebody that's like, you know what? I've been thinking about it for a while. I've got my local fire departments. I've been looking at the uh, opportunities to, you know, do my part and volunteer. Uh, what are you? You know, kind of give me some insight on that. So I can't speak to the volunteer piece because I never was one, right? So that sure. wasn't my sure. space. And California has probably the least number of volunteer fire departments. But what mm. I can say is yeah. this. Um, yeah, because if you look uh, across the country, uh, we don't have a ton of volunteers over here. Um, but we do have some small communities that use, utilize it. I know there's one actually near my house called uh, In Rescue. 
what I will say is this, if you're curious about what the fire service looks like and what it, what it's like to be part of that camaraderie, become a volunteer, go out there and learn some skills. The, the, the cool thing, and also the time that's the piece that starts to take up a lot of time. If I understand this correct, volunteers are currently held to the same standards as full-time firefighters. That means you're about mm-hmm. to get all the training as standard firefighter does. You have to get your firefighter one and your firefighter two. So that's going to give you a lot of training. It's also going to give you a lot of exposure to different areas of life. Not only the firefighting side, but most agencies, I would imagine, even volunteer will, will require you to do some type of first aid uh, or EMT, emergency medical technician training. Um, and so if you're interested even in medicine, they, this can be an interesting entry point uh, to start to ask yourself, is this the space I want to be in? Because as a paramedic, I did a lot of work with fire departments before I was part of the fire department. And I found that I really enjoyed that medicine piece. And so sometimes for people who are interested in medicine, not just in the fire service, this can be a place where they can, they can join in. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's, that ties up. I don't, I, I don't want to speak too much to the volunteer departments because I just don't have the experience in that space. Yeah. I do know yeah. you have a phenomenal networking space in there, which mm-hmm. I think is an advantage. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the biggest takeaway is that you get exposure to what they actually do. So if you're thinking this may or may not be what I want to do, I think it's a good option uh, for you. If there's high schoolers out there looking at this, they should be thinking about the Explorer programs. So most uh, high schools uh, or, or local junior colleges have an Explorer program or a, um, uh, a fire academy or fire classes. It's a great way to get exposure to these. And if you're interested in law enforcement, same thing in junior college and same thing in high school, there's an Explorer program uh, for law enforcement. We support our local one and bring doors up mm-hmm. during their regional training day. So that's a really neat option for people to, to look into the fire service and police service. I love it. I know we have a lot of volunteer departments around where I am here in Nashville. Well, let no, me say thank you to them. Deeply appreciate all our volunteers. We routinely yeah. give discounts to volunteer fire departments because we recognize these guys are doing it. They're not getting paid and they're trying to raise money to make things happen. So if we can ever help them, we will absolutely try to do so. Awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure I send this to a couple of my buddies that I know are involved. Yeah, I would love to chat with you. Uh, so you were, you were over 20 years as a firefighter. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, being that we're on the Skilled Dad podcast, I'm curious. You're, you're, staying with, you're staying with guys, you know, waiting for, you know, needing to respond. You're, you're working. Um, you've got that community. Um, what did you learn during that period and, or, you know, tell me about some of your experience when you started having kids and, you know, what that, what that looked like for you, um, as a firefighter and as a dad. Sure. So I actually was, I had my first child when I was 29, my uh, son, Josh, and I was actually working full-time as a paramedic on a paramedic ambulance, not in the fire service. Uh, and then, uh, after I had our daughter, Juliana, uh, I actually started testing for the fire service and the police service actually at the same time. Um, I know some, some police and firefighters don't always get along. I was glad to see you and Brian, you know, talking. So that's, it's a funny thing. I actually wanted to be a cop. Uh, my wife begged me not to be a cop. Uh, she had two friends, she had two or three friends back in LA, both, all, all of them were divorced from their, their 
uh, law enforcement uh, partners. And so this is one of those times that you have to have a very prayerful time with God and really ask yourself, you know, okay, what are, what are we doing? And so after I got hired by a police agency and then I turned them down, mm-hmm. um, believing that, that my wife might be right about me. Um, I was pretty hard charging. I was not the most graceful person in the sense, like I wasn't going to show you a lot of grace. Mm. Right. So, um, she was really concerned about me being a, a, an officer. And so, um, I, I look at life now and, and there's part of me that still would have loved to do that side of the job. I, cause they came out of an 11 Bravo position in, in the military. Uh-huh. Right. So I, I was an infantry guy. So like, you know, uh, shoot, move, communicate. That was the deal. Right. So I'm like, this is an easy <laughs> flip over. And I've had multiple guys who meet me in the, in the law enforcement side, like, why did you go to the fire? And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, I went to fire, um, probably do a lot of prayer and, uh, and just trying to listen to my wife and consider what our future would look like. Uh, and I honestly didn't know at the moment what everything would turn out to be. And so the day that I was supposed to start the academy for the police service, I got a call from Palo Alto fire going, Hey, you need to come over here and, uh, sign this interest card so we can, we can put you on our, le- our list. And so, it, you know, interesting to see how God prevails in some of this stuff. And, and yeah. it, it's, it's frightening. Uh, I think I've gone off rail though. Um, no, you're good. I, I, I threw you off rail. I threw you off no, rail by, by wondering how it worked out, you know, kind of uh, interest in two paths that at least so, the stigmas don't get along. But how did, how did it impact you as a firefighter, your experience as a dad? Um, and that's, I think that's a dad, right, right. Yeah. So that's where we're going. So I thought the fire service was wonderful because originally we worked at Standard Kelly, which is a day on, a day off, a day on, a day off, a day on, and then four days off. But then you start working overtime and you end up, when you come home, um, if you've been up for 24 hours and you've been dealing with people who have been dying or a fire or something like that, you're not Mm -hmm. always the most graceful person. And what happened when I got hired was I was told, hey, man, you don't need to find another job, you'll just work overtime. That'll be your second job. And because the fire service had this, that was kind of the mindset. I, I got it. I'm like, okay, cool. I can just do overtime here. And that's, I'll make my extra money to go buy whatever it is I, need, I feel like I need to have. Right. So, right. Uh, or pay whatever right. bills I got. Right? Um, what I found over time was that started to impact my time at home. And we wanted to homeschool our kids. Uh, and we did uh, homeschool all of them uh, through junior high. Uh, actually, my youngest. She went to, she didn't go all the way through junior high. I think she had watched her sister and brother go through it. She was like, I'm just going to leave her at junior high. Uh, but <laughs> wanting to be engaged with your kids is hard. And if you're, um, so the, what the, what the studies are telling us right now is that it takes a firefighter almost 24 hours once they get off duty to, to channel down, to come mm-hmm. out of what they call uh station yellow there's three different stations uh it's covered in uh, on combat uh the book uh but the idea is that you're you're kind of keyed up because you've been at work you're constantly waiting to be called out you're 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 ready for that response right so when you get home you have to kind of key down and it takes generally 24 hours and then they say that the next the 24 hours before you leave you're keying back up right Mm -hmm. so if you're off for four days you're keying down one day and you're keying up the other day right you're really only they are presently really getting your head wrapped around things for two days. When I started to realize this kind of stuff, 
um, it was it was lucky I was realizing this while I was going through the process of building uh, forceful entry back in uh, 2008, 2009. It dawned on me that I could build something at home maybe that I could then sell to the fire service, i.e. our door systems. Mm -hmm. And then I wouldn't have to work overtime because if you start stacking days upon days, the the defrag time when you get home can take even longer. And I, I just, I wanted to be present. And that was one of the reasons I think I moved into this. Hey, I'm just going to weld on my week, on my days. I'll be home. I can kind of get, I got it. You ever heard that term flow? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I really felt like I was in flow when I was fabricating. I'm like, I'm just, I would get lost in that time. And then my wife would yell at me and be like, Hey, come on out. Like, we're going to have dinner or something like that. <laughs> so then you're present, right? If they need you for something, you're present. Uh, it also helped my son a couple of times because he's like, Hey, I have a project we have to have done by tomorrow. I'm like, let's go fabricate something. Like, let's go make something. <laughs> I'm your guy. Yeah. I'm your guy. We, we do this, right? Uh, so it, it was a really fun piece. And then I just felt like it gave me an opportunity to put my hands to work doing something differently. And the weight of, you know, the weight of being a paramedic over time can, can weigh on you. Uh, and so being able to be in a place where I wasn't dealing with people who were sick, I wasn't dealing with somebody else's emergency, and I could just build something that I really enjoyed was really meaningful for me. And it was neat because, and what's really interesting to me is my son didn't want to be a firefighter. He wanted to come work with me as a fabricator. So through his eyes, he saw a better life in one side than the other. Mm. which I find mm. interesting, right? Yeah. I don't want to say that the fire service drains you. It doesn't, but it does. There's a, there is a part of it that because of the nature of the work we do, it, it is burdensome at times, right? And you try and unfrag all that stuff out of your head, but you carry that stuff and you yeah. carry it, unfortunately, yes. the rest of your life. And so we're finding this stuff out in the mental health space. And so for me, I'm actually really happy that uh, I, I, and trust me, it wasn't because I was so smart that I saw this all coming. I'm like, I'm like, I just think this is fun. It's a way for me to go have a good time. So I just go build doors, right? So that's what I did. So I love it. You know, that study, it's interesting. Um, and on combat, I've not read that one, but I think you and I had talked about it before. But, you know, white, yellow, red. Um, it's good for anybody to know. Is it, is it the same? Um, but. But one thing that you had said about that 24-hour kind of stand down is uh, if anybody here that's listening is a business traveler, and my question is, does that sound familiar? Uh, because there are similar studies that it takes, you know, unless you're doing a ton, maybe you're just so used to it. Sleeping in a hotel room the first night, it's a new facility, new place, same kind of deal. So, um, no, you're you're on to some there, and and I've actually I just got back from a from a month of travel and uh i went to two different conferences and then i was at two different off-sites doing training and i will tell you you're absolutely onto something there i would be curious what that would be uh how that would look because when you're out there doing sales you're out there pushing that takes a lot of mental and emotional energy and i i realized how tired i was coming back from some of that stuff so mm -hmm. i you know you only know what you know right and so you know it was, it made me appreciate what other people do. I have a buddy that does sales. He travels a bunch and he's like, dude, I'm wasted. And I'm like, I get it now. I, I totally see why. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're traveling, 
um, you know, multiple time zones, same deal. Right, because true. I had, well, well, I guess I technically had all the time zones. Um, and so I was in that, that sales world, loved it. Um, but similar deal. I mean, it, t- it took a while to unwind, but you're, you know, typically up late, you're always on, whether you're with a team, if you're managing a team, like you're vo- focused on all those pieces. Um, so, you know, kind of similar. And there is an article, if you're kind of curious about that, there's a study, this is older, but it's called the darker side of hypermobility. And it was done in Europe for people that were constantly traveling, uh, along with the gamification that happens with point statuses and tier statuses and all that from all the different you know, chains that you stay with or who you fly with. But anyway, there's a lot of things that, that we, that can drain us. And so, you know, always looking at the things that we've learned that help us then be present. Um, sometimes it's making a change. Uh, and then sometimes it's just being aware of it so that you can step into, you know, tackling it, uh, whatever your individual scenario might be. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. So Dave Grossman, he was a, uh, he was a, I want to say an army colonel ranger, uh, ended up teaching at, uh, West Point. Uh, he speaks in his book on combat. And so white is basically, um, just kind of, uh, just mellow. You're safe in your own home, right? Yellow is on alert. We are working. We are, you know, engaging in things and our heart rate is typically below 120. This is actually seen the heart rate stuff. Uh, and he states another book. And I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that was where the, a lot of the heart rate studies were done. The zone red is actually above 140 mm-hmm. uh, beats per minute. And you start to lose fine motor control. And then situation black is where you've lost all motor control and you think you're going to die. And so the interesting thing that I think of is that even if you're traveling, right, you're releasing uh cortisol adrenaline in your system all the time right one of the things that that that's an advantage to the fire service when we go to a fire right we do a lot of very hard work which is exactly what your body was designed for feel fear and to either fight or flight right so we Mm -hmm. see we see a fire we engage we do all this work and our heart rate blows up and we blow out all this adrenaline right right it's actually a more healthy piece now, the unplugging and coming down off of it once we get home, that can be a little bit different. But the thing that concerns me for somebody who travels, like a police officer, a police officer engages in combat potentially, shoots a person, right? And there's no fight. And then they have a thousand whatever milligrams of adrenaline in their system and they can't unprocess it, right? There's no workload after it. Uh, now, if they're in a fight, obviously there's a massive workload there and, and I won't pretend to be a cop or know what they do i do understand though that they have to process all that that adrenaline but take that just one step over a little bit your sales guy who is not working out and not training and not doing anything for himself physically carries all that same adrenaline Mm -hmm. and maybe he has a big sale or maybe he gets busted out right and he's like he loses the big sale and either way he's either got cortisol adrenaline he's dealing with does he go and work out and blow all that out of his system by running or biking or lifting something heavy and just getting all that adrenaline out and all that stress out? And I think there's a real need for people to identify that I need this time and got to get rid of that because, you know, they say sitting is the new smoking, right? Like we can't be sitting all the time, right? 
We've right. got to be out there right. and be active in our world. And so I just, I encourage the guys who are listening to this, hey, do something at the end of those days to like blow off that adrenaline, get it out of your system before you go home, because it will actually help you decompress. I hit a gym three, at least three days a week on my way home from work because I deal with a lot of stuff at work and I want to go to the gym. I want to punch something. I want to lift something heavy. I want to do something like that. And so I can go do that. And it helps me to, to bring that drilling level down. Um, I just think it's super important for people to consider that uh, for their own health. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and it's not just about like, to your point, I think there's a great, there's some education for me to do before I like really speak on it, but um, it's not just looking good and feeling good. It's the why behind it and what it does. It's what you said, kind of blowing off the, the, the chemistry involved in it. Like there's an important factor there um, to look into. It's not just, you know, I need to work out. It's the why. It's just like anything. Why, why do you need to do it? What does it do for you? And what are the moving parts as to why it's important? So I'm going to look into that. That's, that's really good. Um, and if you don't have a gym, do pushups. Herschel Walker. Yeah. Here's the deal. It's, it's actually, there's two chemicals we deal with most of the time. Adrenaline. That's what brings our heart rate up. Mm -hmm. Cortisol. Nice. That's what makes us get fat. Basically, it's a stress hormone, right? And those two fight each other. That's why I'm not standing up right now. <laughs> so here's the deal. To get rid of those things, they both get rid of, we can get rid of either of them or both of them because uh, they play in part of each other by just doing something physical for half an hour. And that means if you just do push-ups or burpees or walk, do, actually they say walking is 70% of everything. Mm. Like if you just go for a walk and get that out, throw a couple hills in there and get your heart rate up, that's going to help you live longer. It is going to help you feel better at the end of the day. Uh, so I just highly recommend you you know, people take a look at that for themselves because, um, in, in the fire service as well, before that, when I was a paramedic, we had two rules on the ambulance. Once one was stress kills and the other one was never be at the end of the bat. And so, uh, I explained the first one was we saw a lot of people with stress and we saw a lot of guys in their forties who had, who had been jocks in their twenties and had done nothing with it. And then the thirties go by and now they're in their forties, got a high blood pressure, diabetes, hypertension. They've got all these problems going on because they haven't addressed these things in their lives, right? They haven't found a way to blow off this adrenaline, manage this cortisol to do these things. And so, um, and the other one was never be at the end of the bat. And what that really means is if you ever had somebody swinging a baseball bat at you, uh -huh. if you're at the end of it, you're about to take the worst impact. But right. sometimes right. if you just step in, you're where he's swinging from and there's not nearly the same impact. So don't be at the end of a punch. Don't be at the end of a kick, be either out of the range or be so close to him. They have no power, right? Unless I guess they're Bruce Lee. He had a three inch punch. <laughs> I don't worry about that with TV people. Um, but those were things we, we, those were our rules, right? We're pretty simple dudes, but we saw a lot of stress. And I think that's something we, we need to manage better. Dude, I love the, don't be at the end of the bat. Um, definitely going to use that one at some point that's i love that yeah um and right now you know the world's kind of an interesting place it always is but there's always different factors going on so uh push-ups walk if you can like whenever my family does a walk we all go together and we have great conversations we have fun if you have the opportunity to do that do it it's a t it's a twofer you know it's time with your family your kids you're showing them the importance and with them and you're getting your 70 percent of everything out of that so 
with the, I know we've got uh, just a couple minutes left here. So I'm curious kind of if you would have, I'm put you on the spot. I, I tend to do this, but what are three things that you'd give to a dad that's listening that, that you've kind of learned, whether through your reps, your experience, um, or, or wherever, uh, that, that you would kind of bestow on them to either encourage them or just kind of equip them um, with your learnings. That's kind of what this podcast is about is learn from those who've been there before. So three things that a dad that might be listening and it's kind of, it's open-ended. There's not many moves here. The first thing is that it, listen to your kids, really listen to them, ask them once a year, what does dad do wrong? and be willing to not answer back to what they tell you. Um, they're going to tell you some things that you may not want to hear, but if you debate them, they'll never tell you it again. Listen, uh, really take a listen. And then as you listen, try and figure out what they really like. So I'm going to throw myself under the bus in this moment. My last name is Ferry. In the 1980s, when I grew up, being a fairy was a different deal than it is today. My son, I pushed into wrestling because I got picked on and at times in fights and stuff because I won't use all the other words that they would tie on to fairy at the Mm -hmm. time, but they weren't encouraging or a blessing to me. Um, And um, and it made me uh, probably a little meaner at times than I needed to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. It made me angrier at times, a lot of times than I needed to be. but what that made me do as a dad was I didn't want my son to ever deal with that. So I put him in wrestling at a young age because I knew if he could wrestle and fight, he would never have to deal with what I dealt with. Mm. And so we did a lot of different wrestling and fighting stuff. And the problem now I look back is I think there were other things he would have probably rather done. And I mm. wonder had I left him to do what he had loved to do, what would his life have looked like? Um, so not that he's mad at me for what I did, but just be aware of, is this your dream or their dream? Um, I think mm. that's a hard one for us as dads, because especially with our sons, we want them to be, I mean, I want my son to be a man's man, right? I wanted him to be like me probably is exactly what I'd probably say. So just be really aware of yourself in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I, before you go to number two, it sounds like yeah. what... I've not ever thought about it this way, but it sounds like doing doing like an annual review with your kids. And, it, yes. you know, I mean, it's, it's hey, what's worked for you? And maybe not structured in that way, but what do you like? What don't you like? What would you change? How am I doing? Here's how I think you're doing. And let's set some goals and move forward. Yeah, it's funny. When my son was like four or five, I did this for the first time. I'm like, what do you not like about daddy? And he, one of the things he goes, he goes, <laughs> leave me. And I'm like, what do you mean I leave you? When I'm in the car, you leave me. And what he's doing is pointing at me when I'm going to the ATM. <laughs> right? Back when we used the, other, used the ATM. And so I'm like, so he just simply wanted to walk over to the ATM with me and put the car in. Like, it's sometimes the stuff is just bizarrely simple. And sometimes it's not, right? right. And sometimes it's really difficult as they get older. Um, let's see. What else would I tell you? Um, from where I am now with kids that are in their 20s, I would tell you, because I'm trying to tell myself on a daily basis sometimes, just because they're not choosing your values 
doesn't mean they don't know your values. Um, we raise our key. If you, my brother said this to me and my brother, Mark is a, an amazing man. And he said, Chuck, do you think if I, you gave your kids a pop quiz on your values that they would pass? I'm like, oh yeah, they know exactly what I stand for. He goes, the difference is they haven't made them their values. And that's the difference. Um, I don't know how to force our values on our kids. I, there's probably me that wishes I could have more. And there are probably people out there that think I was weak in some way. And, and maybe I was, I, I tried to instill a very Christian value set on my children. Um, and it may not play out in their twenties the way you want it to. Mm. And that's not your fault. Um, so give yourself some grace. We all are struggling. Most of us are fighting to work jobs, build businesses, love our kids, play with them enough, be there enough. Please show yourself some grace. We know you're trying. Um, in me, dad is such in a room with a bunch of other dads who are trying to raise kids well. Dude, that group of dads should be commended. We don't commend you guys enough. So from me to you guys who are raising kids right now, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the next generation. We need them. And, uh, and we appreciate all the work that you're doing to make it happen. We know it's not easy. I've been there. Um, the last thing I would say is vacation together. Be careful, mom and dad, taking vacations without your kids. Um, we did a yearly trip to a place called Shaver Lake. Now, don't go there because it's already too populated. So just stay out of my life. <laughs> but we did a yearly trip to Shaver Lake and my kids to this day love Shaver Lake and they know it like the back of their hands. So we can all go out there and they can just go every direction they want to. And I don't have to worry about things. I know they know their way around the lake. And so uh, I would just tell you guys, uh, that would be my last big thing. I think I'd land on is just spend time together, find some, it doesn't have to be an exotic vacation. It just has to be time without an agenda, without a bunch of other stuff that's in your head. Uh, go on vacation with them and play with them. That's really 90% of the time. That's all they want. Uh, well, your son said it, you know, what don't you like? You leave me. Right. <laughs> so it's time. It's time. Uh, and that, that theme has come up quite a bit, um, but it can never get to a point where we don't need to be reminded. I think uh, as we get busy and we're, after it um whatever you're chasing after uh we only have so much time and you're on you're 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 further along right you're further along and, and have seen that and now you have the opportunity to, to work with some of your family but however many years before they turn into teenagers right and then that i would imagine the time changes some so if you've got some four five six seven eight nine ten eleven like dive in i'm at the eight is the eldest for me right now. Uh, and it's a blast and I'm forcing my values of baseball onto him and trying to switch from soccer to baseball. Just cause, <laughs> you know, I've had five years as coach with soccer and I'm like, let's go back to baseball. Don't go it alone. You got a whole group of people here. If you're looking for some, some people just holler at me. Um, we got people from all over the, the country. Don't go it alone. Whatever the stuff you're facing. So, uh, Chuck, we've had lots of conversations like over the last couple of weeks and every one of them is always, always, I'm writing my notes here and I've got another notepad and it's just fun. Uh, so I appreciate you taking the time and, and joining me uh, on the Skill Dad podcast and, and um, 
Yeah, thank you. It's It's been a great conversation. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Zach, for having me. Absolutely. Guys and gals, for those that are listening, because uh, I know both do, uh, go check out Chuck's company. They're doing awesome things. Forcibleentry.com. And if you know some firefighter friends, tell them about him. Um, clearly, you can hear the passion. You can hear some of his story and the authority that he carries with what he's doing and why he's doing it and what he's learned. And this literally is saving lives, uh, both first responders and those that they're going and helping. So go check them out um, and uh, see the good things that they're doing and pass it on. I'm so glad that you joined this podcast. If you made it to the end of it, um, well done and thank you. And I hope that you took away some great tips that you can take and apply to your life on your journey to becoming the skilled dad. Um, you can check out all of the socials at skilled dad. But the most important thing is if you got a friend that you know could maybe benefit from Chuck's story or any other stories that we've got here, that's what we're here for. Um, if there's any questions I can answer, you can always email Zach at uh, skilleddad.com. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. You're listening to The Skilled Dad.